My name is Caleb, for those of you who don't know me, and uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Gateway. Like Jenny said, uh, we are starting a new series over the next three weeks uh, called Creation Care. Uh, we are going to be talking about the environment, we're going to be talking about climate change, uh, and about the, n- the state of the natural world around us. Now, if, I'm sure this won't be the case, obviously, but if your first reaction to that is, oh, flip, this woke millennial has become a tree hugger, wants to persuade us all to become vegans and uh, superglue our hands to the M25, uh, we should be talking about Jesus. <laughs> I'm agreeing with, I hope that was just for the last bit, Harvey, the amen. <laughs> the, uh, what if that was your initial reaction? I would politely ask you to stick with us for these next three weeks. Uh, our, our aim is really actually to set out three biblical reasons why following Jesus should lead us to become people who care deeply about the impact that we are having on the environment. And so this week, uh, I get to start at the beginning, at the very beginning, uh, which according to Julie Andrews is a very good place to start. So uh, Genesis 1, uh, starting at verse 1, the very beginning. I'm going to read these verses and going to set the tone for today. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Not going to read through the entirety of Genesis 1 this morning, but what we then see is God speaking the rest of creation, the rest of the universe into existence. We get night and day. We get the water separating above and below. We get land appearing. We get vegetation. We get plants. We get trees. And after each step, God recognizes it as good. Next, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And it's a kind of throwaway line, isn't it? And we sang that earlier about, you know, he, he I can't remember what it was, something about he knows them all by name, the stars. I just, just a quick Google, apparently in the known universe, as in the bit we can see, but we know it goes beyond this, uh, there are approximately one billion trillion stars, which is a very large number. And God created it by speaking it into existence. After this, he creates the... Uh, or the sun and the moon, they certainly kind of give rhythm and life to seasons, days, and years. We get creatures in the sea, creatures in the air, and he commands these creatures to multiply and fill the earth. Then God makes all kinds of animals to live on the land. Everything is in perfect order. There is beauty and abundance to this creation. Scientists talk about the, the universe uh, being finely tuned. What they mean by this is, is a kind of image of uh, what, you, what you can imagine in your mind is like all these little dials, thousands upon thousands, maybe even millions of little dials all set to the right value for the universe to exist and be in balance, for life to, uh, to, to continue to exist. I had loads of examples of these, but my talk's too long already, so I've had to chop them out. I would have had a great time telling you all about the science of these little dials, but just trust me when I tell you that there are all of these millions of little dials all set to the right value for our existence to continue. In some ways, yes, this is a perfect world that God has created here, and 
And it's beautiful and it's amazing, but there's a precariousness about God's world. All of these little dials have to be set to the right value. And it's into this world that God creates human, humankind. We read in uh, verse 26 of Genesis 1 that God then said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Into this delicate ecosystem, he brings man and woman. And, and what's his hope for them? What's his purpose for them? What's, what does he imagine them doing? What does he command them to do? Well, we read a couple of verses later in verse 28. He says this, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. In Genesis 2, we get a, a, a kind of another but more detailed version of that creation story, and we read in verse 15, the Lord, placed, uh, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. There are many different translations that pull out different things there to work it and take care of it, to work it and keep it, cultivate it and keep it, work it and watch over it, take care of it and look after it, to cultivate and guard it, to cultivate and maintain it. Uh, this is, the idea is that, that we're stewards of creation. This is where we get this concept of stewardship from. He, he didn't just create us into it to enjoy it. That was part of it, yeah? We had a role to play, to tend and watch over it. We have a role to play. He's the landowner, we're the tenant farmers. He's the owner, we are the gardeners. And, uh, and we actually get a little glimpse here, I think, this glimpse of kind of partnership of God and man working together. And uh, we see it where God brings all of the animals to the man to be named. There's just this partnership of working together. But unfortunately, we know what happens next, don't we? Humankind rebels against God. And, and what happens because of that? You can read about this in, in Genesis 3, and sometimes it's a, there's a neglected element to, to the brokenness here. You see, in that, in that moment of humankind rebelling against God, we break our relationship with God. There's a brokenness that then comes into relationship between man and woman, particularly Adam and Eve, but between humans. But thirdly, the, the consequences of sin in Genesis 3 actually have an impact on humankind's relationship with the created world. You, you can read all about it in Genesis 3. There are, there are very real and earthy consequences to how man's relationship will now be with the earth God created because of the fall. Now, fast forward to the present day. If I were to ask you the question, how do you think the relationship between humankind and the created earth is going, I wonder how you would answer that question. I have to say that not good would be a huge understatement at this point. Um, some people talk about the climate crisis that we are currently facing. If I'm honest, and having spent the last couple of weeks preparing for this talk and immersing myself in the facts around this, I don't think crisis captures where we are at at this point in history. Sometimes crisis is a kind of thing that'll, you know, it'll resolve itself. I'm having a bit of a crisis, but we will get through this. It will sort itself out one way or another. 
that is not what this is at this moment in time. Right now, we are in the middle of an environmental emergency of our making. I, I can't stress that enough. It is an emergency. If you haven't grasped this yet, and, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to avoid this, isn't it? Every day in the news, it would seem we are reminded again and again what a state our climate is in. Uh, if, you, if you haven't grasped this yet, uh, my hope this morning is to help you see what is going on here, but then I will get to some good news at the end as well. But this bit is going to hopefully just kind of wake us up to the reality a little bit. What I want to suggest is that in this finely tuned universe that we have, uh, that we have been brought into to steward and watch over, we have messed with some of the dials that keep life in balance. One of those, the biggest one, probably the most significant at this point, is the levels of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. Uh, Tineke, if you could put up this first graph. Um, so scientists who are much cleverer than I am are now able to drill through ice um, in places where it's been icy for a long, long time. And they can, there are layers of ice from different stages throughout history. And, uh, and they can tell you by taking samples from this ice where the carbon dioxide levels have been over the last 800,000 years. What you will see in this graph is a natural variation of climate change through seven cycles of glacial advance and retreat. And then to the right, you can see where we are now. There is now more carbon dioxide in our atmosphere than at any time in human history. The result of that is that we have warmed the climate of the entire planet. So far, by 1.18 degrees Celsius since the late 19th century. Most of that warming has happened in the last 40 years. Uh, the years 2016 and 2020 are the joint warmest years ever on record. Tineke, if you can put up that next slide. I think this just kind of highlights um, the, the kind of reality of that, that uh, temperature rise that we have seen over the last 150 years or so, you can see the last 40 years or so, it really has increased. That's, that graph's actually helpful. It separates out some of the natural factors that have played a role, but then ultimately they don't really explain why uh, we have warmed the planet so much. The recent Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, a report that came out in August of this year, uh, they said this, they said, it is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the ocean, uh, sorry, the atmosphere, ocean, and land. Widespread and rapid changes in the atmosphere, ocean, cryosphere, and biosphere have occurred. Unequivocal is the word they use. Long gone are the days when science was divided over the human influence behind this sudden rise in carbon dioxide and the rise in global temperatures that have resulted. Yes, there are some who would still dispute this, but they are in a shrinking minority. Unequivocal, uh, according to you know, the people that really matter and know these things, that we have made this difference. The impact of this already that we're observing today without even projecting what happens in the future, are quite scary 
indeed. The top 100 meters of the ocean. Think about the amount of ocean there is in the entire world. The top 100 meters. If you took the whole ocean, you measured it, top 100 meters, which is a lot of water, we have already warmed that top 100 meters by 0.33 degrees Celsius. Doesn't feel like a big number, but when you think about the amount of energy that has gone into that much water, to warm it up by that amount, it is quite staggering. Surface ocean waters have absorbed huge amounts of CO2 and have increased in acidity by 30%. This has already resulted in us destroying over 50% of all coral reefs in 40 years. And if we were to go to two degrees of warming, scientists predict that there will be a 99% chance that we lose all coral reefs around the world in every ocean and all of the life uh, that survives off them. One recent survey, I think there's another uh, slide for this, Tinica. One recent survey of Australia's Great Barrier Reef found that only 7% of all reefs were not suffering from some kind of bleaching, uh, which is what happens when you get uh, more acidic, warmer water interacting with coral. Alongside this, uh, we've seen a huge amount of ice loss over the planet. So apparently Greenland alone, these are staggering numbers that we struggle to get our heads around, but Greenland alone uh, has lost um, 279 billion tonnes of ice per year, every year, since 1993. The equivalent number for Antarctica is 148 billion tonnes per year. Uh, add this to the severe glacial retreat, decreased snow cover in the mountain areas, and you end up with sea levels across the globe rising. Uh, the last century, the last 100 years, we saw the global sea, rise, sea level rise by eight inches. But crucially, the rate of that rising in the last two decades is now double what it was in the previous century. It is rising faster than ever. I think I've got, yeah, you've got that one up there already. That's the, the, the latest kind of 20 years. You see an increase, an acceleration uh, in sea level rising. A warming climate has also made more, uh, more extreme weather events more common. Uh, you can go and look at the, the, the facts if you want, but you just read the news and you know that droughts, heat waves, extreme rainfall, hurricanes, wildfires, floods, etc., are all happening at an alarmingly more frequent rate. Uh, there's a, a graph here of the analysis of rainfall globally, a map. Essentially, purple means extremely wet and red means extremely dry. This is kind of the latest figures. Just some places in the world are much wetter, some places are much drier. The impact we've had on wildlife population is one of the stats that just blows my mind completely. So if you were to look at all the different populations of vertebrae, that is mammals, fish, birds, and reptiles, uh, you look at each uh, species and you count uh, the, the population decline within that species, you average that out, and on average, the, the average population uh, of, of wildlife in vertebrae has declined by 60% between 1970 and 2014. It's quite a staggering number. The reality is I've, I've hit you with some stark facts today. The list goes on and on and on. I haven't even talked about pollution. 
plastics, deforestation, the melting permafrost, the people migration that is happening because of climate change, and probably loads more that I don't even know about. <clears throat> but I think my hope is that I have painted quite a stark picture. I've probably ticked the box for people, hopefully, who are more scientific and like stats and numbers. If you like stories, I want to paint you a picture uh, with some words. This was an article um, from uh, Time magazine published last year. What they did is they tried to imagine what life would be like in the year 2050 if we do nothing above what we have done already to try and curb CO2 emissions. As in, if you and I carry on living life the way we are living in 2050, this, that's 30 years from now, this is what life will feel like. Uh, this is on our pathway towards three degrees warmer by 2100, which is what would happen if we didn't do anything. This is what they write. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I think you'll all, well, it's, it's too long and it's... Uh, you can read it later if you really want. But um, the first, this is what they say. The first thing that hits you is the air. In many places around the world, the air is hot, heavy, and depending on the day, clogged with particulate pollution. Your eyes often water. Your cough never seems to disappear. You can no longer simply walk out of your front door and breathe fresh air. Instead, before opening doors or windows in the morning, you check your phone to see what the air quality will be. Our world is getting hotter, an irreversible development now utterly beyond our control. We have already passed tipping points like the great melting of the Arctic sea ice, which used to reflect the sun's heat. More moisture in the air and higher sea surface temperatures have caused a surge in extreme hurricanes and tropical storms. Coastal cities in Bangladesh, Mexico, the United States and elsewhere have suffered brutal infrastructure destruction and extreme flooding, killing many thousands, many thousands and displacing millions. This happens with increasing frequency now. Because multiple disasters are often happening simultaneously, it can take weeks or even months for basic food and water relief to reach areas pummeled by extreme floods. Diseases such as malaria, dengue, cholera, respiratory illnesses, and malnutrition are rampant. Every day, because of rising water levels, some part of the world must evacuate to higher ground. Every day, you see images of mothers with babies strapped to their backs, wading through floodwaters. New stories telling of people living in houses with water up to their ankles because they have nowhere else to go. Their children coughing and wheezing because of the mold growing in their beds. Insurance companies declaring bankruptcy, leaving survivors without resources to rebuild their lives. Extreme heat is on the march. If you live in Paris, you endure summer temperatures that regularly rise above 43 degrees Celsius. This is no longer the headline-grabbing event it would have been 30 years ago. Everyone stays inside, drinks water, and dreams of air conditioning. You lie on your couch, a cold, wet towel over your face, and you try to rest. One thing hasn't changed, though. If you have money, you have access. Global trade has slowed as countries such as China stop exporting and seek to hold on to their own resources. Disasters and wars rage choking off trade routes. The tyranny of supply and demand is now unforgiving. Because of its increasing scarcity, food can now be wildly expensive. As committed as nations are to keeping wealth and resources within their bodies, at their borders, sorry, they're determined to keep people out. Most countries' armies are now just highly militarized border patrols. Lockdown is the goal, but it hasn't been total success. 
Desperate people will always find a way. Ever since the equatorial belt started to become difficult to inhabit, an unending stream of migrants has been moving north from Central America towards Mexico and the United States. Others are moving south towards the tips of Chile and Argentina. The same scenes are playing out across Europe and Asia. Some countries have, have been better global Good Samaritans than others, but even they have now effectively shut their borders, their wallets, and their eyes. That is a picture. Yes, it's imagined. It's using imagination. But they're trying to predict what could happen if we do nothing just in 30 years. That is within many people in this room. That's within our lifetime, isn't it? And certainly within our children and grandchildren's lifetimes in 30 years. People are now waking up to the reality of climate change. That's why there are things like the COP26 conference happening later uh, this year. Uh, that's why there is this global aim and this declared aim to try and limit the rising global temperatures uh, towards, uh, to just 1.5 degrees Celsius. Now remember, back to Genesis, we started off this talk in quite a positive fashion, didn't we? don't know if you can remember back to that. We had God working with humankind in partnership with us as stewards in his good world. Uh, God called humankind, do you remember, to watch over creation. Adam and Eve, every generation since, you and me. This emergency is happening on our watch, on, on yours and on mine. And <laughs> honestly, um, I'm actually quite embarrassed <laughs> that I haven't woken up to this emergency sooner. This past couple of weeks for me, <laughs> Barona <laughs> has dealt with a fairly depressed Caleb for most of the last two weeks, coming home having done more research about the state the world is in. I feel like I've personally been, been sleepwalking into a disaster, and I have not done anywhere near enough to even just arm myself with the facts about what is going on and to wake myself up to them, let alone come before God and say, God, what can I do? This is the picture of where things could head. But listen, we need to be good news people, right? We need some good news here. My hope today is, yes, that we, you know, we don't shy away from the brutal reality of our situation. It might be that some of us are shocked by these things. It might be that you're already on board and you know how bad uh, things really are. But honestly, my aim is not to send you all with a, away today with a deep depression. I believe there is something we can do and we can remain a, a people who have hope. You and I live at a unique point in history. If you think about it, uh, the last 150 years, what we've done to this earth, a lot of it we didn't have a clue. We did not know what we are doing and yet now... At this unique point in history, we have the science and technology to measure and tell us exactly what we have done to this planet. And we are beginning to see the science and technology to do something about it. There are now alternatives, alternative options to the many behaviors that we have all contributed to that have caused this problem. There are many other choices that we, we can now make. You and I can 
make a difference. The choices that you make, the choices that I make, can reduce our impact on the, cli the climate. And more than that, I suppose my, my hope is that more than just kind of reducing the negative impact, we can actually be a people who positively impact on the created world around us. We make choices that work with God to steward his creation and improve the, the planet around us. You might think, and, and this would be totally normal to think, that, you know, how, how does little old me making little actions in my little life make a contribution on a global scale where we've already warmed the entire ocean top 100 meters by 0.33 degrees or the entire surface temperature by 1.18 degrees? How do I make a difference? Well, I think the reality is we have to just face the reality that it might be that me alone, I can't make a huge difference. However, if you take one little step, like, I don't know, instead of driving to work every day, if you can, you, work, you walk or you get public transport. I know that's not something everyone can do, but say that works for one person and they do that. They might think, well, tomorrow morning, if I do that, that's not going to make a difference. However, if you do that every day for the rest of your working life, you're making more of a difference. If you think about the fact that we here as a church community probably make up a, around about 200 households, I think, if we collectively, all of us, begin to take these little steps, suddenly we're making slightly more of an impact. If you think about the fact that there are a whole number of churches meeting across this city, even now at this very moment, if all of us get on board with it, we start changing our little things, suddenly we're making a bigger contribution. If you add that to the rest of the UK church, you go global and you think, well, if every Christian got the hang of this, if every Christian really took this seriously and began to change their lifestyle in the ways that they can to reflect the impact that we have had and to try and reduce that, suddenly we are making massive contributions to the effort to change what is going on here. I think the challenge for us is that this is our watch now. In generations to come, our children and our grandchildren will be learning in their history lessons at school about climate change and global warming, and they will be asking you, what did you do to contribute to this in a positive way? When did you become aware that this was an issue, and what did you do about it? I believe we have a responsibility as God's representatives on earth, as people who he said, I want you to steward this earth. I want you to watch over it. I believe that we, as followers of Jesus, have an opportunity here to get on board with this before it's too late. To be people who, who say, actually, it's now. It's now that we are going to change our behaviors to reflect the, the goodness of creation and what, he, what God created and what he has called us to do. So what can we do? How can we partner with God in stewarding over his good 
creation? How can we ensure that we're taking our watch seriously and serving future generations as well? Well, I want to present kind of three broad things that I think we can do. I'm not going to get into like the little tips of practical things at this point. We're going to have that later in the service and we're going to hear from uh, people in future weeks as well. But the three things that I want to suggest we can do um, I think this might be the first time in my life I've ever had a sermon with like three points and they all begin with the same letter. Are you proud of me? I've, I've finally arrived to that school of thought. So three things. Number one, assess our individual or household impact. Um, so we need, to, we need to take an assessment. We need to work out what is it that I am contributing negatively to the climate around me, around us. Uh, there are plenty of resources out there. Just go online work it out. You can even fill in certain things. We need to assess first and foremost. What is it? How am I contributing? How am I part of the problem here? The second thing that I think we need to do is then adapt our lifestyle to reduce this impact. Once you've worked it out, we need to find ways to live sustainably. You know, this isn't necessarily about going off and living off-grid in a cave somewhere. This is about incremental changes to our lives, where we can, where we can afford, uh, to reduce our negative impact and to actually increase our positive impact on the climate. And the third thing that I believe we can do as Christians is we can advocate on behalf of the created world and on those impacted most uh, by the environmental emergency. Um, So part of that might be contacting influential people, writing to your local MP, talking to others about this issue, donating to causes. Uh, If you maybe even if you're in have influence in your workplace, bringing about some changes there. I think we can be people who, uh, honestly, the earth is crying out already. I think we're beginning to hear that. Going to we're beginning to hear the creation groaning under what we have done to it. We need to add our voices to that and advocate on behalf of creation. Part of that, I believe, is actually we need to be people who are praying about this issue because ultimately we can play our part, but we need big movers and shakers. We need governments and big business to wake up to this and to change policy and to move nations in the right direction. Some of us can influence that, certainly, but really we can pray. That's one of the best things that we can do. In some ways, maybe it might feel like we are that little boy with his picnic of a few loaves and a few fish sitting at Jesus's feet, uh, giving to Jesus what he had and seeing Jesus do the miracle and feed 5,000 people with his packed lunch. We do what we can do, and then we pray that God would multiply it and make a significant difference. So we're going to do that in a moment, as Eric is going to lead us in prayer. Uh, the, f- the, f- the final thing, really, I want to just kind of say is that I need to acknowledge that there are plenty of people in this church who are way ahead of me, um, who have been on this for years and been banging the drum, and, uh, and myself, and I'm sure many others, have kind of been sleepwalking into this. Uh, That's the only way I can kind of describe it. There are many of you who have already made radical changes in your lifestyle because you've clocked this some time ago. And actually many of us need to catch up to this. So over the coming weeks, we will be exploring this topic more. What can we do? What does God have to say 
in all of this. And we will later on in today's service uh, be hearing some top tips from people. We've asked a few people to contribute to this about how we might consider or what we might consider in terms of our own personal lifestyles. We're going to be hearing 10 each week in the coming weeks. But Derek's going to lead us as we pray. I feel like that's the most important thing we can do uh, right now. So I wonder, should we stand together? And uh, Derek is going to lead us as we pray.